Welcome once again, everybody, to the Blood on the Canvas podcast. I'm your host, John Dell, as always. Uh, I know it's been a while since I've recorded a podcast. I just wanted to explain the delays a little bit and what's going on in my life. I'm in the process of moving to Asheville right now, so that's taking up a lot of my time. I'm also working full-time as an exterminator right now, so that's it's summertime. There's a lot of bugs, obviously. If you have any questions, just ask me. I can probably give you some answers uh, about mice, too, if you ever wonder. Um, I'm also my grandma's main caretaker right now. She's 90, and I'm just trying to help her out as much as I can. I just do little things for her. She's still in good health. It's just hard for a 90-year-old woman to get things off the top shelf sometimes. Um, I was just going to give my quick thoughts on UFC 240 and 239 since I missed that a little bit. Uh, 239, we had Jones versus Santos in the main event. A lot of people were really upset, thought Santos won that fight on one leg, and I don't think that's true at all. It's hard to win a fight out there looking like a baby deer. He just didn't have his legs under him. I think if he had his legs under him, it at least would have been more competitive. I think Jones probably would have took him down more if he had threatened him more on the feet. He never really hurt John at all. John never really hurt Santos except, but I believe it was the third round he caught him with an elbow and sat him down. They didn't count it as a knockdown. I'm not sure why because it was a pretty clear knockdown. I'm sure the knee had something to do with it, but other than that, I know a lot of people tried to give Santos, I believe it's the second round that was contested. Maybe it was the fourth. It's one of the two, and I went back and watched it specifically because I had a conversation with the uh, MMA guy, Phil, and I just don't see how you give Santos that round. He landed like one hard body kick, maybe two, but Jones just did a lot more. He rolled with all the punches. Santos never really connected clean on anything but a couple body kicks and some leg kicks. And ultimately, the most damage that was done to both fighters was their legs. Jones was able to stand for the whole fight without any weakness showing, really. Santos had to be helped out of the cage because obviously he blew his whole shit out of both knees. And I seen a video like three, four weeks later, dude still couldn't walk. That's how bad his knees were. And it also begs the question if Santos will ever really be the same again because he relies on his explosion and his kicks so much. And he's got a plant. He's a Muay Thai fighter, and they plant a lot harder and twist a lot more. I just don't know if he'll ever really be the same. He's also 35. Uh, also looking at Nunez versus Holly. Nunez had the perfect game plan going in. Also... Was a little bit baffled by Holly's entries. She didn't bounce around. I was watching it with my girlfriend, and I said, "Watch, Holly's going to be in perpetual motion the entire fight. She'll never stop moving from the second she steps in the cage." But she really didn't do that. She kind of stood in front of Nunez, which is like, in my opinion, the worst thing she could have possibly done. Obviously, she got head kicked. I know that's a little bit looking back on it now, and I can say that, but I, I really thought that before the fight too. I usually see Holly just bouncing around, hard to hit. She wasn't very hard to hit in that one. She kind of just left her chin out there for Nunez. And Nunez just had a real good feint. She knew she was scared of the right hand. She feinted that right hand. Holly went for the knee teep, and she saw it coming, moved to the side a little bit, boom, head kick, knockout. Uh, probably cemented Nunez's place as the all-time greatest women's fighter right now. The women's fighting is still very young. It's like 10 years in the making. So I don't expect that to hold up too long i expect nunez to hold on to that for as long as she fights somebody's going to come along though pretty soon of course we also have the masvidal Askren knockout of uh i don't think there's much that can can be said about that one now that hasn't already been said i mean it was an amazing knockout it's going to be played over and over and over probably for the rest of time because that was crazy that was one of my favorite knockouts ever when i saw it happen i was with my girlfriend like i said 
it, this is her first time watching the live MMA fight. And I, t- I warned her before, I was like, I'm going to be super reactive to these fights. I'm sorry, I can't help myself. It's usually why I watch the fights by myself, because I'm like yelling at the TV like I was versus you, Luke and Jan that I'll get to in a second. But when I saw Masvidal hit Askren with that knee, I had to like physically turn away from the screen because I was it almost turned my stomach a little bit the way Ben was stiff. It, it was not fun to see that way. I like what Masvidal did after. I know people... Gave him a lot of crap for the extra shots and counting him out and yelling at him and everything, but what do you expect? You don't fuck with the craziest guy in the room, and 90% of the time, Masvidal is the craziest guy in the room. Don't fuck with a guy like that. Don't trash talk him. It's only going to make things worse. Like I said, again, the Yon versus Luke, I only got a couple words to say. Put your fucking hands up, Luke! My God, what are you doing? I'll get to that later in my What the Fuck Man segment. That's going to be part of that. It's going to be him and Cyborg. Versus Dana Feud. Um, then we have Chiesa versus Sanchez. Possibly the most hilarious fight ever. I actually picked Diego to win that fight outright. If I would have knew what fucking retard. I'm sorry. I know that word's probably not really used. But I'm not very PC. So I apologize if that offends anyone. But that fucking retard in the corner of Diego Sanchez. What are you doing man? And I'm talking about Diego. Why do you hire a guy like that? I, I highly doubt we'll ever see that guy anywhere near the sport again. Because, my God, if you watch a video, he has a video of him doing what he called, I think he called it butterflies, which I assume he had Diego doing for an entire month he was with him. And he's basically just flapping his arms up in there like he's going to take flight or something. And during the fight, he I believe he yelled, crack the coconut, crack the coconut, show me Tyson, show me Tyson. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Just great corner work from that guy. The voodoo master himself. I'm not sure what his name is. It really overshadows a Kiesa performance, which was amazing. I also heard Kiesa talk about on the aerial show after Sanchez actually stuck his finger in Kiesa's butt at one point and gave him an old check. So to fight through that and still get a dominant decision, that was nice. I would have liked to see Kiesa finish Sanchez in that one. I still need to see more from Kiesa before I consider him a real contender at 170. Um, so let's move on here to UFC 240 from just a couple of weeks ago. I was actually at the beach and I had to watch it on my phone. And obviously I'm just now getting to recording the podcast. But uh, UFC 240, we have Max versus Frankie in the main event. Max really used his jab well to create a barrier against Frankie and his foot movement. Frankie just never could get in on Max. Max took almost no punishment. A lot of people gave that 4-1 to one to Frankie. I think there's probably an argument that Max took all five rounds. I'll give one to Frankie just because he was relentless on his attack. I feel super bad for Frankie. I think there's really, if he really wants to compete for a championship, he needs to go to 135. I also have this thought about Frankie at 135, though, where I'm kind of scared for Frankie at 135 because at 45 and 55, he's so much faster than the other guys. The chances of him getting knocked out aren't that high because guys can't catch him. Even You could even see Max's hesitancy to really unload on Frankie, except that one time he had him hurt, he went after him. But other than that, Max was very careful in his approach because he knew Frankie could shoot for a takedown at any minute. And I believe Max stuffed one out of, or stuffed all but one out of 13 takedowns. So that's very impressive. I saw a lot of people saying that Frankie was going to win the fight because Max hadn't shown any takedown defense, which is ridiculous. He may not have fought the most elite wrestlers, but the 145 division doesn't have many. And besides that, Max has only been taken down a couple times in his career. I think he has an 84% takedown defense. 
And I would be willing to bet that 16% he gets up pretty fast. And he did in that one takedown. He might have went out, out of the round, I believe, actually. But it was only like 45 seconds. And there was really no damage done. Yeah, Cyborg versus Spencer. A lot of controversy around that fight. Not about the decision, but just the way the commentary was made for some reason. That was a story. I I, I never understand why commentary is a story. Because it's literally just background noise. So you don't hear two grown men groaning at each other for 15 minutes. So it, the commentary never bothers me. I just ignore it half the time. It Like, if you don't like it, just put it on mute. I know people have a problem with that, but get real, man. I want to hear Joe Rogan's commentary. People were saying, uh, uh, we'll get to that in the what the fuck, man, segment. But I, I just didn't think Joe was very biased. I think Cyborg did start to gas. I think she did leave everything out there. And Spencer made her do that. Those flying elbows that cut Cyborg were crazy. Uh, Spencer gave it all she had. And honestly, I just expected more from Cyborg. It was a great performance from Spencer and great toughness. But I really just think Cyborg should have finished her. I, that, I think that was a pretty bad sign. Which may be another reason the UFC is out of the Cyborg business. Besides all the feud between her and Dana. But I, I really think Cyborg's coming to the end of her career. She's had a lot of fights. She hasn't had too much damage, but I expect some gym wars because I think she used to train with Wanderlei and Shogun, and they were known for hard sparring. So I would say she's probably had some great deal of uh, sparring wars in her day. Uh, then we have Neil Jeff Neal versus Nico Price. It was a great fight. We actually had a double knockdown at one point, even though I think that was more of a headbutt from both guys that kind of shook both of them up a little bit. Jeff Neal ended up getting the victory by a ground and pound, vicious ground and pound from the full guard which was great to see because you don't see that very often from the full guard um, when it's not elbows. I don't think there was many elbows. I think it was mostly hammer fists, if I remember correctly. Could be wrong. But it was a great performance from Jeff Neal and Nico Price. Nothing nothing to be ashamed of for Nico Price. There. I expect him to get another high-profile fight next time. Uh, I think he'll be a contender, maybe like a cowboy type where he just hangs around the top ten his whole career, just has fun fights and is always ready to fight. Jeff Neal, I expect big things out of. I expect that dude to be in the top five within the next year and a half. Uh, I, I suspect we start seeing some big matchups for Jeff Neal pretty soon. I expect a real top 15 contender pretty soon for Jeff Neal, probably his next fight. I'm really excited about that guy. Uh, so, all that being said, we're going to give you a quick overlay of the episode, and we're going to move on to our next segments. We're going to give you a quick recap of UFC Newark main card. Uh, then we're going to go to the prelim pre-fight notes I made compared to how they actually turned out. Uh, you can judge my judge my work on that. I promise I'm honest. I know off the top of my head, I know I got one of those prelim fights wrong. Um, we have a quick overlook of UFC Uruguay and how I think the fights are going to turn out. My quick predictions. I don't really have too many predictions for them because I don't know a lot of the people on there. I think I just have four fights written down, uh, but I'll give you my thoughts on those fights. I'm going to give you my quick thoughts on UFC 241. Just talk about it a little bit. I don't think there's too much need to get real into it. I don't know if I'll make a podcast before then because, like I said, I'm pretty busy right now. Pretty soon I'll have more time to record these podcasts, but right now I'm pretty pretty short on time. I'm going on 1 o'clock right now, and i got to be up at 7, so I should probably get to bed soon. We're going to try to record some of this podcast before I do that. Then we're going to get to my favorite segment and also my boy Juice Aaron Jackson's favorite segment, favorite segment What the Fuck, Man?, uh, I think he just likes hearing me yell in a southern accent. And I'm fine with that. Uh, we got the division breakdowns and fights I want to see, like always. Uh, we got two divisions for you this week. We got welterweight and featherweight. And then we have a lead-out, shout-outs, and more. So be back shortly. 
All right, let's get into the newer main card a little bit here. Just going to do a couple fights for you. Uh, I didn't have time to watch too much of the fight in depth, so I haven't got too far into it. We got Kennedy Zukui. Zukui. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to call him Kennedy versus Darko Stosik, something like that. Uh, sword of the fight really wasn't that great of a fight, but there was a lot of good dick kicks. Uh, if you're a fan of dick kicks, this was definitely your fight to watch and probably the fight to watch from now on. Uh, Kennedy being very tentative after getting kicked in the dick like that, probably because he had a ruptured nut, and I don't blame him. Overall, pretty boring fight. Kennedy won by decision. Uh, need to see more out of that kid. He's too good to have fights like this. Uh, next, we have Jim Miller versus Clay, Clay Guida. Jim Miller out there still looking like a new man. Won three out of his last four. His last loss was to uh, Oliveira by rear naked choke. But, I mean, they're both ground fighters, and not many guys are going to be able to take Oliveira on the ground. Uh, so, no shame in that. Uh, the shit you doing, Herb, you don't grab a guy's hand three times and it just limp dicks, and you don't call the fight. You could have called it after the first one because it just fell back to the ground. He was like, oop, Robbie Lawler, better try it again. Fell to the ground. Oop, Robbie Lawler, better try it again. Fell to the ground. That fight could have been stopped a lot earlier. Maybe could even possibly like permanently hurt Quay Guida as long as he was out right there. But in Herb's defense, you really don't see many guys go to sleep from a guillotine. You usually see them tap before that because it feels like when you're in a guillotine, it feels like your head's about to pop off like a Pez dispenser. So usually guys tap before they go out. You, I really don't remember the last time i seen a guy go out from a guillotine. It's not something you see guys go out too much from, just like triangles. You hardly ever see guys go out from triangles because they tap out before they actually go out because it takes so long because it's a blood choke uh that's all i had on that fight good job jim miller getting that submission victory uh now we're just gonna get we're gonna go ahead and jump ahead to colby versus robbie uh because i want to say quite a bit about this one yes robbie is slowing down some but make no mistake he is still a top 10 fighter it was an outstanding performance by colby immense pressure uh not only that you can just tell after a round, fighters' arms just feel sluggish and full of lactic acid. That's my only explanation for Robbie not throwing punches, is he just had so much lactic acid in his arms he couldn't throw hard punches. Because there's no way Robbie goes through that fight. We've seen in the RDA fight he did that, but he had a torn ACL. So maybe something like that was going on in his shoulder, but I, I don't think so. And we'd never know, because Robbie's not the kind of guy that would tell you about it if he was hurt. But he really creates sluggish opponents, and I think that's a big part of his strategy. But he also just overwhelms you with pressure. He's very similar to Habib in that way. He's not as good as Habib because he just don't land as near as much ground and pound. Ground and pound, but he just sucks your energy. Oh, it must be so helpless when you're fighting Colby. Guys look so confused going back to their corner when they fight him. I, I, there's really no explanation, no breakdown for it. I think that's why a lot of people still won't respect Colby's skills is because they they just don't understand what he does to guys, but it's just the relentless pressure just gets in your head. You get confused. You feel helpless. You don't know what to do. Really, for somebody to beat him, I really think somebody has to be a front runner. I think you need to beat him in the first round. I believe that's his one loss. One loss. I know it was a guillotine to Worley Alves, which is his main move. And I think that was the first round, which I assume they hadn't got sweaty yet. So it was harder to get out. 
I'm also going to challenge you guys to go and watch Colby on Embedded right before the RDA fight, and you really get to see the real him. He does some of the gimmick in that too, which I I hate the gimmick too. Don't get me wrong. I don't. I try to separate the fighter from the in-ring performance always. I. Because really, I'm just a fan of martial arts, no matter who it is. I don't really have a hated fighter, except Paulo Costa. Fuck that guy. Don't know why I hate him. Just fucking do. But I really challenge you to watch that episode of Embedded. It gives you his backstory on him and his dad, and it was him and his dad's dream. Everything he's wanted to do, he's accomplished. He's really not a bad guy, especially I watched another video of him after after the fights, and he was talking to an up and like a young fighter that was just wanting some advice from him. Colby gave him some great advice. He was very calm. He didn't say anything assholeish. He was just normal Colby. And I think that's the real him. And I think he probably really is the captain of that team. I just I just think this gimmick's just gone over his head now and he can't backtrack on it, obviously. Maybe once he becomes champion, he'll tone it down a little, but I doubt it. It's making him too much money. So what are you gonna do? The media created this, and that's just what's gonna happen from now on. Hopefully nobody else goes this way, but if Colby has a lot of success doing it, it's probably going to go this way. Also, I love the Kurt Angle music coming out to You Suck. That was great. I did. Ex- I really didn't expect that many people to catch on to it, because I was like, how many of these people actually watch WWE? Apparently all of them, because they all did it. Anyway, moving on to Robbie. Uh, yeah, he is, let's see, four. Ugh. That's not good. He's one and four in his last five, but let's just go over these last five, and it sounds a little better when you explain it. In Robbie's last five, we have the loss to Colby by the UNF's decision. That one's just pure dominance. Right now, I don't have any excuse for him. It was just a bad performance by Robbie and just a dominant performance by Colby. Uh, next, you have the Ben Askren lost by Bulldog Choke. We all know what happened. I don't think Robbie was out. I think he was close to it, and I think Herb Dean... Rightfully stopped that fight in his opinion. I think he really did think Robbie was out and he was trying to save him. Like he said on the Joe Rogan podcast, that had to do with his neck as well. He was afraid he wouldn't he would hurt his spine if he left him in that for too long. And Robbie would just deal with that pain. He would never tap out. So I think I don't blame her for that one. It's fine. Um so he had the loss to Askren, which probably can't really count as a loss too much. You won't look too much into it. Next, you have the RDA loss, and he actually had a torn ACL in that fight. I believe he tore it in the first or the second round. He just didn't look like himself at all. He kind of looked like he did in the Colby fight. The overwhelming pressure just got to him, and he couldn't really get off the cage because of his knee. So I don't hold that fight against him too much. I know RDA dominated that fight, but with a torn ACL, he didn't get finished by one of the best guys and by a top 10 guy in the division. That's pretty impressive. He had the win over Cowboy by decision. I actually think that was a lot closer decision than a lot of people did. I think Cowboy won the first round and a half, and Robbie took the next round and a half. I would have been okay with a draw there. But ultimately, I was I didn't have a problem with Robbie winning that fight at all. So he has a win against Cowboy, which you can argue is just a lightweight because he didn't do all that well at weight. He had some success, but not a whole lot. And then the last loss we had against Woodley, there's no excuse for that one either. He got knocked out in, I believe, the first round by a vicious right hand to lose the title to Woodley. So if you really look at it, he in those five fights, he has two bad losses, and that's Woodley and Colby, where there's no excuse for it. So, and just listen to those names. Colby, Askren, RDA, Cowboy, and Woodley. That's a murderer's row. Give the man a break. He's not slowing down as much as he is just facing harder competition now. Another thing I wanted to talk about, was how good Robbie's takedown defense usually is. The fact that Colby did this to Robbie is another way. I think Colby's on another level. 
and deserves the next title shot. I think it'll be a great fight with him and Usman. I know some people call it a boring fight. So I'm sure it will be a boring fight to some people. I'm going to love it, though. So fuck y'all. Um, moving on right here, we're going to go ahead and do our UFC Uruguay breakdown a little bit. And then I believe we'll split it up for U- UFC 241 a little bit. We'll do UFC 241 with the division breakdowns. Uh, probably do record that part tomorrow because it's past one and I need to go to bed. We'll do this real quick. Uh, first fight on UFC Uruguay I've got is Ozdemir versus Latifi. Classic grappler versus striker matchup. But Latifi is a much better all-around fighter, and he has bricks for hands, so they call him the bricklayer for a reason. He also has a brick-shaped head that can take punishment. Uh, I'm taking Latifi by unanimous, unanimous decision in this one, barring an Ozdemir KO in the first. Uh, if Latifi has his way, this will probably be a probably a, just a dirty, grimy fight, and I really see how that fight goes. Even though Latifi's given up a lot of size to Ozdemir, I feel, feel like Latifi should be the favorite in that one. Just haven't seen enough of Ozdemir on the ground to really have any confidence in him against anybody with a decent takedown game. Next, we have Luis Eduardo Garagori versus Humberto Bandene. Something like that. Never really heard of either of these guys. But the reason I'm excited about this fight is because, obviously, Gagori is a hometown kid. He's from Uruguay. He's undefeated. And he's put. Then they've put this fight up before Ozdemir and Latifi, two proven guys in the UFC. I can only speculate he's being counted on to pump up the fans before two big fights at the top of the card. I expect a barn burner from this one. Um, taking Gagori by decision, but like I said, I haven't watched either guys. Um, not even sure what weight class it is. I forgot to check on that. But I expect that to be a good fight because I expect him to actually be putting Louise up as like a new contender from South America. I expect that they probably want him to be the Uruguay flagship man. That's probably why they're putting him in this spot right behind Perry and Shevchenko. Uh, moving on, next we do have Perry versus Shevchenko. Uh, yeah, that would be a great fight. Mike Perry versus Valentina Shevchenko. Who you got in that one? No, we actually have Mike Perry versus Vicente Luque. Uh, Vicente Luque is actually my, probably my highly, the most highly underrated fighter in the UFC, in my opinion. Besides Gregor Gillespie, I'd put them on the same level. They just haven't had a chance to fight guys at their level yet. They just dominate everybody because they're not giving them fights because nobody will fight them because they don't have a big enough name. It happens to a lot of guys coming up if they don't talk shit, and that's a problem. But he's got an exciting style. He has a win over Tiago Santos. How fucking crazy is that? Tiago Santos was a welterweight and lost to Vicente Luque. And now Santos is fighting John Jones for the light heavyweight title. It's fucking crazy to me. But he's also a performance bonus machine, and I expect nothing less out of this fight. Moving on to Mike Perry. He's the prototypical Florida man. Every time I see a Florida man headline, I kind of expect to see Mike Perry there. He's even got face tattoos. Now, number one, if you have face tattoos, you are really banking on yourself either being a cage fighter or a professional criminal. What the fuck else are you going to do with face tattoos? Maybe rapper? I guess you could be a rapper. I could see Mike Perry as a rapper. As a very shitty rapper, but a rapper nonetheless. He's really become one of my favorite fighters. If nothing else, I was already in love with him. But I just fell deeper in love with him when him and Cowboy Oliveira were dancing before their fight. Who dances like that before a fight? He was doing the running man. That was fucking beautiful. I still love that shit. 
I still go back and watch that shit. It's great. I love Mike Perry for that. He's a hard hitter. He's got a great chin. He's got a great personality. He's got a smoking hot wife in Platinum Princess. Can't remember her name right now. She's smoking hot. Thank God she's not in, she's not in this corner anymore, though. Because what the fuck? Why would you put your girlfriend in the corner unless she was an actual fighter? She had nothing to do with MMA. She might take some classes. But dear Lord, she's like a yoga person. What the fuck does that have to do with fighting? Keep that bitch out of your corner. Uh, He's also a bonus machine. And I expect fireworks in this one. I expect this to be fighter than not. I expect nothing less. Uh, I'm taking Vicente Luque by submission in round three after a slobber knocker. I feel like Vicente Luque is going to take it to the ground and use his jiu-jitsu to overwhelm Perry on the ground. And we've seen that before from Mike Perry. That's really his weakness. I kind of see that going on after Perry slows down a little bit later in the fight. Moving on, we're going to get to Valentina Shevchenko and Liz Carmouche. I expect another pure dominance performance from Valentina after that vicious Jessica eye knockout. That's still hard to watch. Uh, oof, that was rough. But, I mean, I expected it. What the fuck were they thinking putting Jessica eye up against Valentina Shevchenko? Not a good idea. But I also think against a fighter like Liz Carmouche, She'll probably play it safe and go back to her strategy like she did against Nunez, where she's just trying to point fight. Uh, I'm looking forward to this one, but I see a lot of people probably criticizing Valentina, probably saying she's not doing enough, she didn't do enough, she could have finished her if she wanted to, shit like that. I mean, give the girl a break. If she don't want to get hit in the face, she don't need to be hit in the face. If she has the option to not get hit in the face and still win the fight comfortably, why wouldn't you take that? I've never understood that. You would do the same thing in that. If if I have the option to win a fight comfortably, get my win bonus, and get out of there with a win, with no danger, and taking no punishment, and taking years off my career, I'm going to fucking do that. I've never understood that argument. I expect Valentina to do this in this one, because Carmouche really is a good a good opponent for her. She's a lot better than Jessica. She's going to put up a tough fight. She's high caliber. She's not on Valentina's level, though. I expect Valentina by a unanimous, de- unanimous decision. All right, that's going to do us for our little overlook there. Uh, we'll be right back with some UFC 241 previews and our division breakdowns. And then we're going to get to what the fuck, man. We're going to get out of here this week. Thanks, guys. We're back here on the Blood on the Canvas podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed that little jingle. Uh, we're here at the segment. We're going to go ahead and do What the Fuck, Man. I had planned on doing a prelim breakdown, then I had wrote down tons of notes, and I had worked super hard on getting those prelim breakdowns for three different fights. I was going to do Cole Williams versus Claudio Silva, Matt Schnell versus Jordan Espinosa, and Salim Tuahari versus Mickey Gall. But for some reason, I took the notes on my phone because I was coming back home from the beach and I can't switch between the notes and record at the same time because it just cuts off. I've recorded this segment like three fucking times. And every time I do it, it just stops halfway through and it's just blank. So it's just pissing me off. So we're just going to skip that segment. I'll go ahead and tell you a little bit what my thoughts were. Coming into the Claudio Silva fight versus the Cole Williams fight. I actually picked Cole Williams. I'm not sure why. Didn't expect the guy to be fat and out of shape. He was muscular in the fight I watched. I watched him in a chosen few fight nights, something like that. He fought a guy named Charlie Brown. I know that's hilarious. I thought it was hilarious, too. Until you see the guy, the guy's actually kind of a killer. He's a good striker. Um, and that's basically the Cole Williams fight I watched. There was just a 
boxing match with the MMA gloves. They didn't even kick each other, really. Um, I thought Cole Williams was a wrestler, so my thought process was Cole Williams would be able to stop Claudio Silva's takedowns. My only advice for Cole Williams was to throw absolutely no kicks whatsoever and to also stay away from the floor. The floor is lava. And he should have heeded my advice because he got choked out in the first round uh, by Claudio Silva. So Claudio Silva's on still an impressive win streak. He's undefeated in the UFC. He actually has a win over left elbow Leon. Uh, it was a controversial split decision, but it is what it is. His last three fights are a submission win over Danny Roberts, also controversial armbar. Danny Roberts never really tapped, but he screamed in pain, so the ref stopped it. Uh, he has a rear naked choke win over Nadine Tlaib. Nordane Tlaib, something like that. I actually won some money on that because I bet on Claudio Silva because I knew about his jiu-jitsu. Claudio Silva's a great guy on the ground, but his stand-up's just really lacking and he don't have much of a gas tank. That was my thought process is he would shoot on Williams a couple times. Williams would stuff it because he's the bigger guy, but he was just fat and out of shape. It didn't happen. Silva won by first-run submission. Uh, then we had Matt Schnell versus Jordan Espinosa. Matt Schnell's my favorite guy in the flyweight division. I've watched him since he was on Caged. I've been really excited about this guy. I did take Schnell by decision, but uh, after, but I'd actually already decided I was taking Schnell before I even broke down the Espinosa fight. But I did backtrack just a little bit because Jordan Espinosa did look better than I expected in his Danny White Contender Series fight that I watched. But it, there was one thing he just kept his hands down when he was throwing punches. I do believe Schnell kind of dropped him on one, or maybe he dropped Schnell. I don't remember because Schnell ended up on his back. Because he um, actually submitted Espinosa by first round triangle choke. So that was great for Schnell. I'm really excited for that kid. He's, my, like I said, my favorite fighter in the flyweight division. I'm really excited. I hope he gets a big fight next. Congratulations, Matt Schnell. You, my boy. Uh, the next fight was Salim Tuhari. Excuse me. Excuse me again. Salim Tuhari versus Mickey Gall. I actually had Gall by decision. I just thought he was a better fighter. Tuhari, I watched him against Worley Alves. Just wasn't much there. I mean, Warley Alves is a very good guy. He's actually gave Colby Covington his one loss in UFC and one loss in MMA. But I just didn't see much from Salim Tuahari at all. Thought he, unless he had improved quite drastically, he probably didn't have a chance against Mickey Gall. In that Warley Alves fight, he took a serious nut kick, which I'm figuring is why he's out since 2017. He probably had a ruptured nut from that one. Uh, but Gall did take this one by decision. I just thought Gall was a better fighter. He's a good prospect. He's only 25, even though he did have that loss to Diego. I didn't like him calling out Diego again. Just move on, bro. But uh, still, I figured that weight cut would be brutal for Gall, so I didn't think he would dominate the fight, and he really didn't. It was a pretty close fight, statistic-wise. But Mickey Gall got the win, and I'm happy for him. Uh, so we're going to move on here to our What the Fuck Man segment, one of my favorite segments, and I know it's my boy Juice's favorite segment. So we're going to try to do this one right. So we're going to start out here. We've got three things we're going to talk about in this segment. First of all, we're going to talk about Cyborg versus Dana White. We're going to talk about Luke Rockhold not keeping his fucking hands up. And we're going to talk about, um, what is his name? Alexander Emelianenko, Fedor's brother, signing with Barenacle fighting FC. I can't wait for that one. But first we're going to start out with Cyborg versus Dana Drama. What the fuck, man? On both sides. What the fuck are y'all doing? Y'all acting like second graders out here? He's a liar. She's a liar. Who the fuck cares? Just work out a deal. Get it together. It's too late now. It's already broken. Well, now we're never going to see Cyborg in the UFC again. Tell me, 
Who the fuck is she going to fight? She's going to, maybe if she goes to PFL, she can fight Kayla Harrison at 155. But that would be great because it's 10 more pounds she don't have to cut. But at the same time, if she beats Kayla Harrison, then fucking what? Who's she going to fight now? She can fight Sarah Kaufman. I think she's in PFL. Maybe. Maybe in Bellator. But either way, and there's Julia Budd in Bellator. But either way, well, even if she had stayed in the UFC, though, that was my next point. And there's really just three fighters she can fight. in each, And they're all in different uh, organizations. They're all in different organizations. She can fight Julia Budd, Amanda Nunes, or she can fight Kayla Harrison. Uh, and they're not all together. It, that's the three forty-fivers. I guess you could count Duran Duran to me. Sorry, getting tongue-tied over here because I'm getting pissed. But I, I guess she could fight Jermaine. But I mean, Jermaine already refused to fight her one time. I'd assume she would probably refuse to fight her again. But here's another point for Dana: if she doesn't want to fight Nunez, who the fuck else would she even want to fight? Tell me, he, I watched that interview with him and he gave two names. I had no fucking clue who either of them was. I assume they're Invicta. I know uh, some people watch Invicta. I'm not a, I just don't watch Invicta. I don't have enough time to fit that much MMA into my life. I already watched UFC, barely. I mean, I get all my UFC in, but I can't, I get Bellator in when it's a real good card, but I don't watch Bellator religiously or anything. I watch PFL when I can, but I, I can't fit all that in. But my point is, who the fuck else is she going to fight, Dana? It, you keep saying she don't want to fight Nunes. Who the fuck does she want to fight then? That's the only option she had. What the fuck are you talking about with this? And for Cyborg, I got a what the fuck woman for you. What are you doing, Cyborg? You can't doctor videos of an interview. Of course you're going to get cut after that. And you know what? That makes you look like a bad guy now. It gives, you, it gives a disadvantage to you in contract negotiations with other organizations. When you say, I want more money, they're going to say, no, nah, we know you're a proven liar. We don't know what you're going to do. You, She already has this reputation about being hard to work with. Well, not so much Cyborg. I don't think Cyborg had anything to do with this. I don't think Cyborg's that hard to work with. I think she just wants to fight and help people because that's really what she does. I think it's her boyfriend and her manager. Not sure what his name is. I'm sure it's the same guy that runs the social media. If you've seen that shit, it's fucking hilarious. But... She'll ask you, like, what's your favorite color? Why the fuck do you care what my... That's getting personal, Cyborg. Stay the fuck out of my business. I don't want to tell you what my fucking color is. Get out of here. But it's her boyfriend and slash manager that does all this shit. He's super hard to work with. He gets in a fight with everybody. He can't get it. She can't get an interview with hardly anybody besides Ariel, and that's only sometimes because he's so fucking hard to work with. He wants so much money, it's probably too much asking for. That's probably what this whole Dana thing's about. She wants... She's asking for way too much money than what she's worth. I know she's worth a lot because she's the most, she might not be the greatest ever now that Anunez probably took that, but she's at least the historically the most greatest female fighter, the most, what do you want to call it, the most decorated female fighter, we'll say, because she's fought for so long and fought so many names. She's fought everybody. She's never backed down from anybody. But now she's just not going to get as good of a deal from anybody because you have that stigma around from your boyfriend, I think you can. You don't have to break up with him. Just fire his ass. Dear God, what the fuck? Ugh. So moving on, we're going to get to Luke Rockhard versus Jan Bokowitz. Put your fucking hands up, Luke. What are you doing? Why are you putting your hands down? I looked at my girlfriend after the first round. I was like, watch this. Luke's about to get knocked the fuck out and it's going to be terrible. It's going to break his jaw. 
because he would just put his hands down while he's standing in front of, in front of Jan like that. He respects him. I, I didn't get the hate on Luke Rockhold. I kind of get it now. If you're so cocky that you won't even put your fucking hands up against a fucking Polish killer that looks like Jan Blockowitz, the guy looks like he eats bricks for breakfast. He eats nails. Get the fuck out of here with that. Put your hands up. I don't care that you're a karate fighter. I know he has the karate stance, but you know what? That only fucking works if you're like Conor McGregor or Stephen Thompson where you're bouncing on your toes, you're back and forth, you're hard to hit. He's not like that. He's not like that at all. He just stands right there in fucking front of you. I don't know what the fuck he was doing that whole fight. He was doing well. He kicked him in the body really hard, and Jan kind of backed up a little bit, and Luke's like, oh, time to grapple. What the fuck are you doing? Why are you grappling? You just hurt him. And not only that, why are you still grappling, Luke? Right now, Luke Rockhold is somewhere still fucking grappling on the cage. Let go. You're burning your fucking self out. You've never fought this weight class. You're carrying more muscle than you ever have before. Grappling on the cage like that is going to do you no fucking good. No good. What are you doing, Luke? What the fuck are you doing? Okay, now we're done with that one. One more, and I can finally calm the fuck down and drink some water, because this is starting to hurt my throat. Alright, so I saw earlier this week that Alexander Emelianenko, it may have been last week, Alexander Emelianenko has signed, basically, with Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. I know there's like three Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships now. I'm not sure if that's the same one as Polly and Artem. I assume it is, because they must be the most financially stable. I know Chris Levin had a problem getting paid from one of the ones he fought in, which I assume is probably a big problem with those, because they're not really sanctioned, but in like three states. Apparently Florida sanctions it. Of course they fucking do. Uh, but anyway, I saw that Alexander Emelianenko had been signed, barring a visa, to the United States. If you're wondering, well, that shouldn't be too hard to get a visa to the United States. I mean, he is Russian, but it should be okay, though. He's Fedor's brother. No. No, it's fucking not. It's not okay. What the fuck are you doing, Bare Knuckle FC? What are you doing? The guy's a convicted rapist and murderer. I, well, he may not be a murderer. It was at least rape. I do remember rape. He was in prison in fucking Russia. If you are Fedor Emelianenko's brother and you were in prison for a rape in fucking Russia, you did something real bad. I never heard the details, but if you're the most famous athlete in the country's brother, I feel like you should probably get away with that in a country as corrupt as Russia. So you apparently did something so fucking bad. That not even the even the Russians were like, nah, fuck that guy. Put him in prison. And he got out. He got out in like five years. It may not have been five years. So it wasn't that long of a prison sentence. But still, you wouldn't expect him to go to prison at all in a country like Russia. So it had to be pretty fucking bad. And we'll look into it. It was probably pretty fucking bad. I'm just saying, that dude's probably not getting a visa. Especially this time. These days and times where everybody's so concerned about sexual misconduct, and rightfully so, that guy's not getting a visa. Ain't no fucking way that guy's getting a visa. Unless there's a little moolah involved. And in that case, we should probably look into that. So, what the fuck, man? What are you doing, Bare Knuckle FC? What are you doing? Jeez. It's going to be a no for me, dog. Alright. I'm going to pause it right here. And we're going to move on to the next segment after this. I'm going to go get a drink of water real quick. Because now my throat's hurting. I got real upset during that. Alright. Be right back. Alright, now that I got that little hissy fit out of the way, we can move on to my favorite segment to research for. I basically started doing this just so I could do this. Uh, 
it's going to be our division breakdowns. We're going to do welterweight and featherweight. I also wanted to make an announcement, kind of an announcement. I don't know how big of an announcement it is. I have like six listeners, but it's still fun to do. I do this mostly for myself more than anything, just because I like, I like to do the research. And if you're going to do that much research, why not just write it down and put it in audio form? You know what I mean? But, uh, next week I'm planning on doing another podcast before the card. And this time I usually do a prospect of the week, but I didn't do it this week. Because I wasn't able to get the guy on. But I actually do have a fighter lined up to interview. He is in the MMA community on Twitter uh, that I'm in. So it's possible you might know the guy. Or at least see him on there some. His name is Johnny Blaze Daniels I believe. Uh, I hope I didn't get that wrong. Because he might listen to this. If you are listening Johnny. You will be on next week's podcast if we can get it together. If I can figure out how to get a phone call onto this. I'm not sure I'm going to do that. But I'm going to ask around. Try to figure out it how to do it on the app. I'm going to give a nice little interview to Johnny Blaze, and I'm going to give him a little prospect profile. So I hope we can get that done next week for you guys that do listen. I did watch a video of his fight that he put online. He does have a sweet right hand. That's The other guy just didn't do much. The ref was really late to stop that fight too. Uh, so he does look like a killer. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk to that guy if I get to. I at least give a phone conversation if nothing else and then just write down some notes and tell you what he thinks about his fight career, how he got there, stuff like that. But anyway, we're going to get to our division breakdowns. My favorite part about this is I get to make my own division. Uh, I'm, I, this is my own top 10. Of course, I'm not saying this is what it should be. But if you're a UFC fan and you follow it quite often, you probably know by now that the UFC rankings are kind of bullshit. Like, nobody, we're not even sure who's in the committee to make these rankings. Uh, I have no idea who does it. I don't know how it's done. I don't know what the criteria is. No one does that I know of. So it's it's really just up in there. But if they want to use mine, they could, they're more than welcome to use mine as long as they pay me. That would be fucking sweet. Uh, so anyway, we're going to start here with the welterweights. Of course, we have our champion, Kamara Usman. Uh, he's coming off a pretty big layoff. I don't believe he's been active. I think his last fight was in March against Woodley, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, could be wrong on that. But it's been a while since we've seen Usman in the ring. He had quite a few injuries going into that fight, so I don't blame him. From when I heard him on the Joe Rogan podcast, he could barely walk. He had to walk in the grass instead of concrete because his knees hurt so bad. I know he has problems with his hands. He breaks his hands a lot. It's like a pettis problem, too. Uh, but I got high hopes for Usman. Uh, the one person I do see giving him some problems is our number one guy and probably somebody that's going to be fighting him next, Colby. I've heard November's probably a look date. also heard Colby had a pre-existing eye injury where he got cut on his eyelid so that could keep him out till december he said he's probably going to be out for a few months he's got to get stitches back in that it's a good thing that didn't open up in the robbie lawler fight because from the picture i saw on ariel hawani's uh social media it looks like a pretty nasty cut and the doctor actually told me he could lose his eyelid i don't know if that's another one of colby's fucking gimmick but i don't feel like it I feel like that's a real injury uh so that could be something to watch out for that could be a nagging injury as for the rest of his career as people like nate diaz just have all that scar tissue to have scar tissue on your eyelid like that it's probably not good it's probably going to open up again at least at least a couple times if you get hit in that eye but colby's uh performance against robbie was nothing short of spectacular it's probably the best he's looked in the ufc probably a tie between that fight and the rda fight but he did get hit a lot more in the rda fight than he did in this one um he just took the lactic acid and put it in Robbie's arms. 
I, I, everybody just kept saying Robbie couldn't pull the trigger. The real reason I think Robbie couldn't pull the trigger is because he had so much lactic acid in his arms they just felt dead. I don't think anybody's ever wrestled Robbie like that that I can think of. He's got great wrestling takedown defense, and he just got manhandled by Colby on the cage. And I, one of the commentators did say something about it, and I thought about it too. It's almost like Colby doesn't go for the finish sometimes, and it's like he's letting you get back up from the takedowns just so you expend more energy. And it works for him because he just has this constant, relentless pressure on you all the time. And it's so draining on people. It, it's a great strategy. But, however, it is a strategy that he uses in almost every fight. I think every fight he's had in the UFC, he's used this same strategy. So I have a hard time believing that somebody isn't going to figure that out eventually. Usman could be that guy, but I think Colby could also be Usman's kryptonite. Because it, it's going to be a striking match. It almost has to be. It's going to be one thing for Colby. He's probably not going to be able to put Usman on the cage like he does other guys because Usman's not going to be scared of the takedown. Because Usman's sprawl is probably so good that he doesn't worry about it. I do see Usman maybe gassing out a little bit. We've seen him have a good gas tank, but he carries a lot of muscle, man. He carries a lot of muscle. He's had those knee injuries. A grueling five-round fight could be hard for Usman. We've seen him in a five-round fight against Woodley, but Woodley didn't really challenge him at all in that fight. He looked like Robbie did against Colby. It's kind of the same thing. The pressure just got to him. Uh... I just don't know. That's, that's going to be a fun fight to watch. I know a lot of people are saying it's going to be a snooze fest, but I like that fight. Uh, second, number two on the list, I have Tyron Woodley. And you could argue he could be down below Masvidal at least, possibly even behind Edwards, just because Woodley's like not been very active lately. But at the same time, what do you want from Woodley? He does everything he has to. He doesn't talk too much trash. He's just pretty honest he's a good commentator he he's lost one fight in like the past five years so how can you argue the guy at number two at least you got to put colby above him right now because colby has better wins recent in recency bias would put colby above him but i do have a fight lined up for woodley i'd like to talk about a little later like always we're going to do three fights that we want to see from each division and woodley's going to be part of that uh, of course he has that hand injury he needs to still get healed up but I expect he said something today. I heard him say that he expect to be back by the end of the year. He's obviously not going to get Usman or Colby winner, so he's probably going to have to fight somebody below him because there's nobody above him besides Usman in the UFC rankings. So he's probably going to have to take that hit. Probably going to have to fight somebody. And number three, I have Jorge Masvidal. Really hope he doesn't have to fight Tyron Woodley because I feel like that's a real bad matchup for Masvidal. Um, but there are a little. A lot of good matchups for Masvidal. Uh, it, Masvidal, every time I see him fight, I'm like, I don't know how he's going to win this one. Except Ben Askren, I had a, I did pick him against Ben Askren because I just thought Ben Askren would be able to sustain his wrestling against a guy like scrappy as Masvidal. And I didn't expect him to get knocked out that quick, obviously, but it did happen. Uh, but there are a lot of good fights for Masvidal, even if he doesn't get the title shot right away. We could actually... Go ahead and talk about him against Leon Edwards if you wanted to. And Leon Edwards is number four. Left elbow Leon instead of left hook Larry, of course. But Leon's a good fighter. I'm going to be honest, though. I know a lot of people are going to hate me for this because there's a lot of Leon Edwards fans in the hardcore community. I I just I don't see Edwards ever winning the title. Uh, he's, 
he looks big in fights, but I just don't. He he, he is big. He just looks small. I don't, I don't know how I don't know how that works. He's a big small guy. That's the only way I can describe it. He he's good everywhere, but he's not great really anywhere. He's a very good Muay Thai striker. He's good with elbows. He's very good with elbows. That's why I'm calling him left elbow Leon. But at the same time, that's only going to get you so far. Elbows work great. Unless you're Tony Ferguson, then you could probably just rely on elbows. If you've ever seen Tony Ferguson do the speed bag with his elbows, pretty impressive. The Edwards is going to start getting some top matchups. He hasn't fought too high of competition. He fought RDA, of course. But we've seen that kind of pressure get to RDA before. There's a clear game plan throughout the years on how to beat RDA. And if you can implement that game plan, you're probably going to win. Uh, RDA is a pretty clear front runner. If he's not ahead early in the fight, he's probably going to lose the fight, especially in a five-round war. And that's what we saw Leon do to him. Uh, below Edwards, I have at number five, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Which, by the way, if anybody listening to this can tell me where the fuck Santiago Ponzinibbio is, I would be happy to know. Because where is that guy? You never hear from him except when he has a fight. And you only hear about the fight like a week before. Like the guy just pops out of nowhere and you're like, oh shit, yeah, Santiago Ponzinibbio is awesome. I forgot about that guy. I, he's still undefeated in the UFC. He's just not fighting right now. I don't know if he's got injuries dealing with, if he's in contract negotiations. I don't know what's going on. But the gentle boa should be back pretty soon. I actually have a fight lined up for him that I hope goes through. We'll see. But I I do think Santiago Ponzinibbio could possibly be the kryptonite to all the guys above him. He's the dark horse of the division to me. He's a great fighter. He's good on the feet. He's got great boxing. He's got great stand-up skills. He's great on his back. He's great on top. He's good everywhere like Leon. Except I think he's a little bit bigger than Leon and a little bit better in my opinion. So I'm really I'm really betting on the pawns to really take over this division. If he'll ever get back in the fucking cage and start talking a little bit, man. You don't have to trash talk. Just be like, hey, I'm here. Just wave at us every now and then. That's all I'm asking for. At number six, I have Stephen Thompson. I know I didn't put Anthony Pettis on this list at all. I just don't think Pettis is going to stay at 170 for long. I think he's going to take a loss or two at 170. He's going to be like, ah, I better go back to 155 or he's going to retire. One of the two. Uh, I know he took that loss to Pettis, and I will re- actually rewatch that fight again today. And it really looked like Thompson was winning that fight pretty handily until he just closed the distance too much, which is odd because Stephen Thompson's one of the best guys at distance. He is one of the best guys at distance control. You can argue him and Max Holloway for the best in the UFC at distance control. You just don't see him close in a bad distance for himself very often. When he got in on the cage, when Pettis hit him with that flying Superman hook, whatever you want to call it, it, he was way too far in. He couldn't hit him with any kicks. And Thompson's always at kick range. That's one of the few times I've ever seen Stephen Thompson not at kick range. Now, I think Woodley did the same thing to him, though. Of course, not the flying left hook, but it was kind of cage work, kind of back himself to the cage. It's kind of a Woodley thing anyways, back himself to the cage, put himself in a corner to where a guy comes after him and then explode. It's usually what you see from Woodley. And I think that's how he beat Thompson, too, and that's how Pettis beat him. I don't know where Thompson goes from here right now. When I went to the Greenville fight card, I was really hoping to see Stephen Thompson, but he got knocked out pretty recently. But uh, I think it's time for him to come back now. It's pretty soon. I think there's probably a fight in the works for him. We just don't hear Stephen Thompson talk about it too much. He's a real good guy. Like He, he might be the best guy in MMA. There's, it's hard to argue that. I mean, the guy's just super nice all the time. When I heard him cussing his video in the hospital, I was like, well, damn, 
He really did get knocked out. Stephen Thompson just cussed. Uh, anyway, we're going to go ahead and go to number seven, RDA. I mean, it's hard to put RDA in the top ten still because he loses to so many top guys. But I think he really is probably just going to be a gatekeeper for the welterweight division now. I don't ever see him going back to 55 because he is such a thick guy. He is a very, very chunky boy. But that chunkiness comes power. And RDA definitely has that in his legs at least. He has good kicks. He's good on the ground. His striking still has some holes. And obviously he has a real hard time with pressure. Um, I didn't... Yeah, we're going to go ahead and save that one. I, will, I was going to say a fight for him, but I actually have a different fight for him. Uh, RDA... I don't know where he goes from here, really. He's going to have to start taking some fights under him, probably. He's going to start fighting some prospects, more than likely. And that's actually the fight I've got lined up for him, I think. Nope, that's actually Darren Till, who's number eight. We have Darren Till, who's on a two-fight losing skid. And it's a bad skid, too. It's two knockouts? No, the Woodley was a submission, but he got rocked pretty bad. He actually survived that one. Now, I wonder if that didn't have something to do with his knockout against... Masvidal, it was a great stance switch, left hook from Masvidal. So nothing to take away from Masvidal on that one. But at the same time, I, you don't see Till make that mistake very often. I think there's something going on with Till behind the scenes. He seems like just kind of an asshole sometimes. I really like Till. He was gonna, he was like one of my favorite fighters after he beat Cowboy because he looks like such a killer. But it turns out that may have had more to do with just size and. Cowboy taking the fight too soon, like he usually does, and going to all the way to Poland probably just wasn't good for him. I really don't know where Till goes from here either. He's probably going to have to fight, start fighting guys under him, like I said about RDA. He might even become a gatekeeper this early in his career if he doesn't step it up, start get like a three-fight win streak. You can see him back in the top three, but until you see that, he's probably going to be a gatekeeper for the welterweight division. At number nine, we have Vicente Luque. He's going to be fighting Mike Perry, like I mentioned earlier. Vicente Luque is probably one of my favorite guys in the welterweight division. He's another dark horse of the division. Probably going to see him start fighting some guys above him instead of below him like Artie Antille. He's going to start fighting guys above him. Right now, they gave him Mike Perry. I'm not sure why. I mean, it's a fun fight. It's a great fight, especially in Uruguay. I guess that's what they were going for. But at the same time, like, why Mike Perry? I, I mean, I love the fight. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be great. But I feel like, feel like Vicente Luque deserves more at this point. I think he has the second highest or the second longest win streak in the welterweight division behind Leon Edwards some and, and Colby I guess so it'd be third highest but still I still feel like Vicente Luque deserves better at this point number 10 I have Elazu Zaleski Dos Santos uh, another exciting prospect haven't seen too much from him I haven't seen too many of his fights uh, though he had a wheel kick knockout too, not too long ago I expect him to start getting some good fights very soon uh He's he's an exciting prospect. I need to see more from him. I need to see him against some better competition. But right now I've got him at number 10 because I feel like he deserves to be there uh, in this stacked welterweight division. That's saying a lot for a young guy. All right, so we're going to move on here to our three fights to make in this division. At least the three fights I would make. First off, we have, uh, of course, we have the first fight I want to see, Jorge Masvidal versus Leon Edwards. You have everything you need there. You have a storyline. You have real hatred. Probably both guys are not going to really trash talk each other. They're just going to say some really mean things to each other. And that's what I always want to see. I want to see genuine hate. If there's going to be some kind of trash talk, I want it to be genuine. And that will be truly genuine. 
I want to see Masvidal lay that three-piece in a combo on Edwards when he's actually expecting it. I know Edwards kind of, well, Masvidal actually walked up on him, but at the same time, Edwards is asking for it. You can't just go talking shit to the craziest guy in the room, like I said before. You don't do that, especially a guy that was known street fighter. Of course he's going to hit you in the fucking mouth. What do you fucking expect, Leon? What the fuck, man? Uh, second fight I want to make here is Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Tyron Woodley. You know, I've still never figured out, because you hear it all the time, you hear it two different ways. Is it Tyron, or is it Tyrone? I, I'm sorry, that, that probably came out wrong, but is it Tyron, or is it Tyrone? You don't really know. You hear it both ways. So, I don't know. But anyway, I want to see the Pons back in. I was really expecting, maybe that's what Ponzinibbio is waiting for, is the Woodley fight, because he feels like it's a winnable fight for him, because I really do think it's a winnable fight for him. So, he's very calculated in his approach, and I feel like Woodley is too, but Woodley waits too long. He waits too long so many times. I hate seeing that from Woodley because he is so explosive. My theory is he does that just to save it in his gas tank in case it goes all five rounds or three rounds, whatever it is. We haven't seen Woodley in a three-round fight in a long time. I expect him to start releasing his power a little bit sooner than what we've been seeing since he doesn't have to conserve his energy as much. So I'd like to see him in a three-round fight. Maybe that's a co-main event on a big card. But at the same time, I would have liked to have seen this card in the UFC Uruguay card. Uh, I can't remember where Ponzinibbio's from right now. It's either Argentina, somewhere around there, some one of those one of those South American countries that t- touch each other. Either way, it's been a great main event for the Uruguay card. I, I realize Shevchenko lives in Peru, but at the same time, she's not from Peru. Ponzinibbio is, or at least near there. So I would like to see that as the main event. I was really hoping for it when I heard that it was a Uruguay card, but that's not what we got. I mean, I'm not complaining about the Uruguay card because where it is, it's still pretty good. So for a third fight, I have Darren Till versus Eliza Dos Santos. Like I said before, Till is going to start taking fights below him. and It's probably a good matchup for Till, actually, because it's a striking battle. He has no threat of the takedown from Dos Santos, I don't believe. Uh, Eliza is pretty flashy on the feet, throws some spinning kicks. I think his nickname is Capoeira, so that should tell you right there what that is. If you're not familiar with Capoeira... It's kind of what Anderson Silva did. It's just kind of wacky and crazy. It's more like a dance than fighting. But if you get hit by a capybara guy, it's probably some crazy shit, and it's real powerful, and it's probably going to turn your light off. So it could be dangerous for Till, especially after getting his chin rocked a little bit in his last two fights. Could be taking a toll on him, and I wonder if some of his antics don't have to do a little bit with CTE. I don't like seeing guys getting knocked out like he did against Masvidal, especially when you see his head bounce off the canvas like that. It's just not good for anybody. But... I think that's going to be the fight to make pretty soon. Uh, if you don't see Vicente Luque versus Till, you're probably going to see Eliza DeSantos versus Till. Sorry for that little bit of pause there. I just talked for 20 minutes straight and I had to take a break for a second. Uh, so now we're going to move on to our featherweight rankings. Uh, by the way, I chose these two divisions because I feel like there's been the most movement here lately in those two divisions. Uh, just judging from, I believe it was 239 on, was my was my thinking behind this. Of course, uh, our champ is Max Holloway. Uh, I can't say enough about Max. There's not a lot about Max that hasn't already been said. There's a lot of people arguing whether he's a good or not. Who the fuck cares? It doesn't matter. He's beat Aldo twice. So we've already seen him beat the GOAT. You can argue if you have to beat the man to become the man. All that jazz. But either way, he's the champ, and it's going to stay that way for a while. Um, well, barring a Volkanovski win, which we'll talk about in just a second, I've been arguing with the UFC stats guy. Apparently, if 
if you on MMA Twitter, you've seen this guy. He has like 2,000 followers for whatever fucking reason. Who the fuck knows? I, I know why. I've thought about unfollowing the guy at least a few times. The reason why I haven't is because his takes are so hilariously bad, they're guaranteed to make me laugh at least one time a day. Right now, he's on this thing that Zabit is going to take Max Holloway out. Before Zabit, it was Frankie. Frankie's going to take him out. Before that, it was Connor. Even though Connor's never going to fight at Featherweight again, Connor was going to take him out. I don't know if Max Holloway pissed in his Cheerios or what, but that guy just needs to lay off, man. I told him today, I was like, I'm sure Max Holloway will fight you, man, if you just ask nicely. I wish he would, because I wish Max Holloway would just punch that dude in the mouth. He can still tweet that way. I still enjoy his tweets just because they're hilarious and sometimes I like to clap back at him and if eventually I prove him wrong and everything he says and he just stops responding because he knows he's lost and it's hilarious every time. Anyway, we're going to move on because like I said, there's not much you can say about Max Holloway. So I just wanted to get that UFC stats guy some shade right there. They want to throw some shade his way because he deserves it. Just, come on, bro. Anyway, our number one contender is Alexander Volkanovsky. Of course it is. That's obviously the next fight for Max. There's, it should have been the next fight for Max before the Frankie thing, but they'd already promised Frankie a title shot before the Ortega loss. So I get it, especially with the respect you have to give uh, Frankie Edgar. I get it. I wasn't mad about it, especially since I thought Volkanovski had this blood disorder that was going to keep him out for a while. But it actually turns out Volkanovski was the alternate in that fight and actually made weight just in case one of them dropped out. Why didn't he get that fight then? I get it. Like I said with the Frankie thing, but I still think he should have got that fight if he was ready to go. Maybe he didn't know he was ready to go until the Frankie fight was already announced because they announced it pretty quick. But at the same time, still think Volkanovski should have got that shot sooner. I know he's not a big name right now, but if you watch his fights, he should be a big name because that Chad Mendes fight was fireworks, and I love that fight. It was really his coming out party. I wish more people had seen it and more people would talk about Volkanovski. But he's not the kind of guy that talks shit. He used to be 200 pounds, and now he fights at featherweight. And he's not that big of a guy, uh, stature-wise, so I can see how he makes featherweight relatively easy. Carries a lot of muscle, but it's like cardio muscle. It's not the same kind of muscle as like Tyron Woodley. It's more like I can go for days muscle. So I'm really excited about Volkanovski's prospects. My real hope was that Holloway would never even have to fight Volkanovski. I was kind of hoping Max would just move on to lightweight if he had beat Dustin even though I was happy that Dustin got that win uh, I just wanted to see Volkanovski take over the featherweight division and Max move on really because I didn't want to see those two fight because I don't want to see either of those guys lose because I feel like both these guys have a chance to m create one of the best legacies in the UFC for both of them I don't see many guys beating Volkanovski he has all the tools he has great wrestling he's a relentless bulldog he's great in five round fights there's just well, I think he would be great in five-round fights. We haven't seen him in one that I know of. But it looked like in the Chad Mendes fight, he was doing just fine, and that was a banger. So I think Volkanovski really is the only challenger to Max Holloway's title at this time. Like I said, the UFC stat guy thinks it's Zabit. I think Zabit's a great fighter, but right now I just don't think he's there yet. I think Volkanovski's the only guy. And number three, we have Brian Ortega. Well, it's actually number two because Max Holloway's the champ. Whatever. At number two, we have Brian Ortega. Of course, he's already lost to Max. It's hard to get a rematch with Max, I feel like, for Ortega because he took such a beating in that hallway fight. It's going to be hard to convince me to put Brian Ortega back in a cage with Max Holloway until I see some severe improvements in his striking defense because I don't want to see Ortega take that much damage again. 
He's been out since that fight, and I rightfully so, because he took so much damage on Surprise's eye. He didn't some kind of has some kind of retina problem after that fight. His eye was bad. Um. Anyway, Brian Ortega. I don't have a. Yeah, I do have a fight lined up for him, but I don't know if he would ever take that because the guy's so much farther down. Even though it's a great test for Ortega, I feel like he would tell us if his striking defense is back up to par or not. But anyway, I have Ortega at number two because I don't feel like there's many guys in this list that's going to beat him besides Max Holloway and Volkanovski. So that's why I have him at number two. And number three, I have Zabit. Like I said, I think he is the fourth best guy in this division, but that's what he is right now. He's fourth best. He just needs more experience in elite competition. He just hasn't fought many big-name guys. You can't just jump up to the title shot before you fight somebody like a Chad Mendez for Volkanovski or like a Frankie Edgar for Brian Ortega. Right now, Zabit's biggest name is Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens is a great guy, but I don't have him listed in my top ten because he's really starting to fall off. And like I've said before, if Jeremy Stevens doesn't catch you with a big power punch pretty early, well, he can catch you later in the fight. But if he doesn't catch you with that one big punch, Jeremy Stevens isn't going to outpoint you. He's not going to outwrestle you. He's not going to do much unless he catches you with one big shot. Zabit's movement is very good. He's long. He's long for the division. He's big for the division. There wasn't too much of a chance Jeremy Stevens was going to beat him. And Zabit knew that. He kept his distance. He fought a smart fight. It was good It was good to see Zabit fight a smart fight and not throw those flashy things he does all the time. Now, that's my concern about Zabit is I feel like he's going to throw this flashy things. He's going to get taken down or he's going to get caught. It's great when you throw those flashy things against lower competition because it gets your name out there. You get highlights everywhere. That's how I found out about him. I saw a highlight reel on YouTube, and I was like, holy shit, that guy looks flashy. But then you see him against a higher-level guy like Jeremy Stevens, and he struggles a little bit. He even struggled a little bit in the Brandon Davis matchup with his striking. Brandon Davis was kind of out striking Zabit on the feet. He really showed some holes on Zabit's game, especially with leg kicks. If I see you have that much problem with Brandon Davis, who's a mid-tier fighter, I'm just going to have a hard time putting you above Ortega, Volkanovski, or Holloway right now. Uh, number four, we have Korean Zombie. He's one of my all-time favorites. I saw him knock Morcano out at UFC Greenville a couple weeks ago. Probably the best night of, of my life. I hate to say that because I'm sure some family members are going to take offense to that, especially my niece and nephew, but they're probably never going to hear this, so it's okay. Uh, it was a great fight for as long as it lasted. Zombie had a perfect combo, a perfect counter for Morcano, and he does that to a lot of guys. But at the same time, Zombie takes a lot of damage. Against a guy like Max Holloway, he's going to take a super amount of damage that I don't want to see him take. Zabit, probably going to outpoint him. Ortega, probably going to submit him because he's going to try to take him to the ground at some point. And Volkanovski, probably just going to beat him everywhere. Nobody above Zombie I feel like he can beat. So he's a good place right here number four. I feel like eventually he's going to be used as a gatekeeper again, which I hate to say and I hate to see, but it's probably what's going to happen for Zombie. Uh, number five, I have Yair Rodriguez. Of course, his only big name is Zombie. Now, I do have Yair behind Zombie even though he beat him. Oh, it's kind of weird, but at the same time, I feel like Zombie beats more guys than Yair does. Yair has a clear disadvantage in his game, and that's grappling. I don't know if he's fixed that or not, but he needs to fix that if he hasn't. Because a guy like Zabit, he's not going to fuck around with you. He's going to throw some flashy strikes back at you, 
Yair is better at the flashy strikes than Zabit. Yair can pull off the flashy strikes against elite competition. We've seen that. But at the same time, he has a clear disadvantage in grappling that Zabit's going to take advantage of if they fight. And I, there's some guys below him he can beat. There's not many guys above him he can beat. He can maybe beat Brian Ortega if he doesn't get caught in a submission. He can maybe beat Zombie again. I feel like that fight will never happen because another other guys want to take that damage again. But at the same time, Yair's a great fighter. I feel like he's middle he's middle of the pack here in the top 10. At number six, I have Jose Aldo. I hate to put him down that low, but I don't think Aldo's going to stick around too much longer. I know he signed another extension, but I feel like one more knockout loss is probably going to do it for Aldo. He may even move up to lightweight. If he feels like it, he may take that Connor fight at lightweight. Uh, that would be a good fight for him. I'd like to see Aldo get that one back. I don't know if he would necessarily. Connor might have his number. He might get in his head too much. But I'd still like to see Otto get that one back. That's the only fight I really want to see Otto get right now. Even though I have a different fight lined up for him just in case the Connor fight doesn't happen. So I don't feel like Connor's ever coming back, to be honest. I just don't see Connor coming back to MMA at all. I don't feel like the money's going to be there for him. And why would you come back and get punched in the face if you already have $100 million in the bank? It just don't make any sense to me. Number seven, I have Josh Emmett. He's had a great showing lately. After that vicious knockout loss to Jeremy Stevens, he got caught with that one big punch like I talked about before. But Emmett's also a guy that's going to catch you with one big punch. But he can also do more than Jeremy Stevens. He actually does have a wrestling game that he can take you down. There's not many guys above him, but there is some guys below him he can beat. I don't have too much to say about Josh Emmett because I don't, I don't watch it. I don't get that excited for a Josh Emmett fight, even though he knocks the guys the fuck out. He's a great fighter. I just don't have much for him right now. Number eight, I have Moicano. He's taken two bad losses in a row. From Aldo and uh, Zombie, like I said. At the same time, I feel like Morcano still, you don't know if he can bounce back. He may not, it may be time to change training camps just to change things up a little bit. He needs to work on his striking a little bit. He has one of the best jabs in the division, but at the same time, it's a very easy jab to see coming because he's going to use it a lot. He likes to throw the jab by itself. You need a combo, or you're going to have things like Zombie where he's going to counter it. And I expect Morcano to fix that pretty soon. At number nine, I have Calvin Cater. He's a great boxer. He's still probably lacking in the grappling game, but he's getting better every day. He's an exciting prospect. I don't have too much to say for him right now, but I did put him in the top ten because I feel like that's where he belongs. At number ten, I have Arnold Allen. Uh, not much you can say about this guy right now because you haven't seen too much from him, but at the same time, I feel like he's going to be a force to be reckoned with pretty soon, year and a half or so. I've seen him in the top five, start taking out some big names, getting some big matchups. Maybe taking a couple L's here and there. You're not going to keep that record for long in this division. But he's still a good fighter, and I still feel like he belongs in the top 10, even if it is the bottom top 10. So we're going to move on here to our three fights to make. The number one fight I'm going to make is Zombie versus Zabit. I feel like that's a good test for Zabit because it's going to, guy, it's going to be a guy that's going to put relentless, relentless pressure on Zabit. We haven't seen Zabit's cardio yet. We'd like to see how Zombie does against a guy with that much... With Flashy striking again, like Yair, we want to see if Zombie gets caught again. I feel like that's a good fight to make. It's a good test for both guys, see where each guy is, see who climbs the ladder out there. They're three and four in my rankings. I feel like that's a good fight that could be made in the future. Uh, the number two fight I want to see is Otto versus Yair, because who doesn't want to see that fucking fight? Otto probably wins that fight by brutal leg kicks, more than likely, because that's what he's going to focus on. He's going to try to take Yair's legs out. You don't see Otto through leg kicks as much anymore because he's. He doesn't do that because more guys decided they were going to take Otto down. That's how Otto almost lost some decisions. That's how he almost lost to Chad Mendez. 
But at the same time, Yair could pull out some flashy shit and just beat Otto and knock him out. We've seen Otto get knocked out before. So why not? You don't see many guys come back from vicious KOs like he did after the Connor fight. But he actually had two more KOs after that. Even after getting KO'd by Max twice, he's fought his way back. He's back in the top 10 of the division. He's doing great. I hope he sticks around for just a little bit longer, not too much longer. So I don't feel like his heart's really in it anymore for Aldo. I feel like he just wants to get a couple more in, get a couple more paydays, maybe move on to something else. Uh, the third fight I want to make is Ortega versus Cater. And that's a very obvious for me that I want to see Brian Ortega's stand-up defense improve. A great guy to do that against is Calvin Cater. I feel like Ortega would go for this submission very quickly. Ortega needs to implement some takedowns in his game because he doesn't have that great of takedowns. Right now, he couldn't take Max down, but not many guys can. You don't see Ortega take many guys down, even though he's such an elite jiu-jitsu guy, because he's usually the thinner of the two, and the guys can stuff his takedowns. Uh, but I would like to see him against Calvin Cater, because Calvin Cater probably has the best hands in the division, to be honest. Even though he's number nine, and he's a young guy, he's a great boxer, he's a great MMA boxer. He, he said it before, and I'll say it for him. He's probably got the best box in the division, and that's almost definite. I've, well, you could argue against Max Holloway, but that's really distance control more than boxing. Calvin Cater's got power in his hands. He's got good movement. I feel like there'd be a great test for Ortega and a great chance for Cater to move up the rankings. That's going to do it for the division rankings. I'm really tired now. That was a long segment. I'll be back shortly. We're going to do a two, UFC 241. We're just going to do a quick overview, my, some of my thoughts on the fight. Maybe a little predictions, not too much, because that fight's still a ways away. We're going to do a quick lead out. We're going to do some shout outs, and we're going to get out of here for this week. Back shortly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to wrap this podcast up. I know this is probably a little rough. I don't know how to edit on this thing. I'm sorry, I'm just not very good with technology, but we do the best we can with what we got. So, we're going to go ahead and do a quick overlay of UFC 241. This is a good main card. You can argue this has been the best card of the year with 239. I think this one is, in my opinion. I think there's just more exciting fights than 239. You kind of knew John Jones was going to win. You kind of knew Amanda Nunes was going to win. You didn't know between Masvidal and Askren. It turned out to be the best fight of the night. And I can't right now remember the other two fights on that card. Oh, Diego Sanchez and that ridiculous fast whatever the fuck that was with his corner man. I've already talked about it. It's fucking hilarious. Anyway, we're going to get to UFC 241. We have Cormier versus Stipe at the top. It's going to be a great rematch. I've been waiting for this rematch for a long time. Could be Cormier's last fight. Every fight you see Cormier in now could be his last one. He was supposed to retire like last April, maybe this April. Either way, every fight you see from Cormier now could be the last, so you always want to watch it live because you never know. If he gets knocked out by Stipe, it would almost definitely be his last. I don't feel like his wife would be very happy with him fighting at 42 after getting knocked out. I feel like everybody around him would pretty much tell him to quit after that. But at the same time, I don't really see Stipe doing that to him. Uh, Cormier is just not an easy guy to knock out. Uh, John Jones did it, but that's a very rare thing. It's not like Stipe is going to throw a high kick up there. I don't think I've ever seen Stipe throw a high kick. I don't think he's flexible enough, but he is a killer. If there's one thing you say about Stipe, he's got power. He's knocked out guys like uh, Junior Dos Santos. Um, he's knocked out guys like Alistair Overeem. He's just got a lot of power in his hands. He's a dangerous heavyweight. Probably the greatest heavyweight of all time if it's not Cormier. Cormier spent most of his time in light heavy in the UFC. 
but at the same time, he did take that Strikeforce tournament. So whenever I saw the Cormier versus Stipe the first time, and everybody was like, Stipe's going to kill him because of the size difference, I was like, y'all ain't watched Cormier versus Josh Barnett. So he ragged all that fool. But anyway, we'll move on here to the second fight, Pettis versus Diaz. Oh, and by the way, in the Cormier-Stipe fight, I'm going to take Cormier again. Just off prior experience, I just don't feel like there's much Stipe can do to Cormier that Cormier hasn't already seen. Um, second fight we have here, we have Anthony Pettis versus Nate Diaz. And as much as I really want to take Anthony Pettis in this one, because I fucking dread, I can't emphasize enough how much I fucking dread the Diaz fans after he wins this fight against Pettis. Pretty confident Diaz is going to win this one. Diaz fans might be my most un, might be my most hated fans right above Connor fans. Some Connor fans at least know what they're talking about. Most Diaz fans that just talk shit don't know what the fuck is going on half the time. They just pay attention when Diaz fights and they just mainly pay attention to his trash talk. Probably they probably don't even watch the fight. It's like the way he talks trash, which is kind of just like punch drunk. And it's not that I dislike Nate. I like both the Diaz brothers. Because they are real, I feel like. I like Nick better than Nate because I do feel like Nate does a lot of shit for clout. And he does a lot of shit on Twitter for clout. He's been talking shit to other fighters for like the past three years and he hasn't even fought. Like, why are you even talking shit, man? If you ain't going to fight him, just stay the fuck out of it. Just disappear. He kind of has lately until he got this Pettis fight. And you really still haven't heard from Nate because I feel like he's focused on training. I don't feel like Nate ever really got out of training, though. You know he's going to be in shape. There's no chance that Diaz runs out of gas in this one. There is a chance, however, Pettis runs out of gas. Um, I've thought about this since the first time this fight got announced. At first, I was like, yeah, Pettis is going to beat his ass. But after thinking about it a little bit, I'm like, ah, never mind. This is a fight that Pettis always loses. It's a pressure guy. He's a guy that's going to make Pettis bleed. And that's two things that just doesn't work well for Pettis. I know Pettis like licks blood in the Tony Ferguson fight, and he does all these things, and everybody's like, oh, Pettis is so tough. He's really not, guys. I mean, he, of course he's tough. He's a fighter. That's not what I'm saying. I know that sounded bad. But at the same time, there's an obvious way to beat Pettis, and that is pressure. If Clay Guida can beat you with pressure, and Pettis really hasn't improved all that much since that Guida fight, he kind of hit a plateau a couple years back when he came out of the WEC. We think that was the best Pettis we're going to see. I know he knocked out Wonder Boy lately, but like I mentioned earlier, I feel like that was more of a Wonder Boy mistake than a Pettis. Like, I... I don't want to down-talk Pettis because I do love Pettis. Same time, like I said, this is a fight Pettis is going to lose. Diaz is going to make him bloody. Pettis also has a tendency to quit. I know that sounds bad, but Pettis does quit. He had rib injury against Poirier. I'm sure that was excruciating, but at the same time, a lot of guys fight with broken ribs, and he quit. He tapped out to a body triangle, if it was even a body triangle. Then he quit in the Tony Ferguson fight with the right hand. I know people say Duke Rufus stopped that one. But at the same time, a lot of people fight with broken hands, man. A lot of people fight. Anthony Smith finished Alexander Gustafson with a broken hand, a shattered hand. It's A lot of guys fight with broken hands is what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to diss Pettis too much. But at the same time, Pettis does quit. He quit in the Tony Ferguson fight. He quit in the Poirier fight. He's quit in fights before. He quit in the Max Holloway fight. I, it's just something the pressure gets to Pettis sometimes. And like RDA pressured him. He didn't quit in that fight, but at the same time, the pressure just killed him. And if there's one thing you can say about Nate, he's going to make it dirty, he's going to make it bloody, and he's going to pressure you the whole fight, and he's going to stay in your face. That's just not a good style for Pettis to fight against. It wasn't a good matchup for Pettis from the beginning. 
I'm obviously taking Diaz in that one, maybe by knockout, maybe by decision, maybe even by submission. Could be any way. Either way, I'm taking Diaz. Third fight here, we got Yo Romero versus Paulo Costa. I've said it before, fucking hate Paulo Costa. I don't even have a reason behind why I hate Paulo Costa. Maybe because he's so fucking beautiful, I hate Paulo Costa. I'm not a bad-looking dude myself, but at the same time, if you put me up against Paulo Costa, 100 out of 100 girls are going to take Paulo Costa. Maybe that's where the hatred comes from. I don't really know. Maybe it was the IV thing that kind of pissed me off, where he was using IVs, and he obviously knew it was illegal, even though he said he didn't know. Dude, it's illegal. Nobody else gets to use IVs. You don't get to use them either. Get real, bro. But he's fighting Yo Romero, one of my favorite middleweights of all time. That third round, Romero is the scariest fighter of all time. I don't know. I don't care who you are. If you're in the third round, you do not want to fight Yo Romero. I don't remember a single third round where Romero didn't take over. That dude is fucking scary in the third round. I'm going to say Romero by knockout in the second. Uh, I don't think it makes it to a third round. I think Romero's drastically better. I don't think Costas fought any competition that I can think of. He fought an old Johnny Hendricks. He fought an old Uriah Hall that doesn't have it in him anymore. After a, after he had a heart attack and a weight cut, that wasn't the same Uriah Hall. Even a prime Uriah Hall probably loses to Paul Acosta because Uriah Hall just never was all that good, to be honest. He just had a lot of holes in his game. He had good flashy stuff. But like I've said before, flashy doesn't get you very far in the top ten. I don't think Costa wins this one. I think Romero takes it by knockout. Then we have Benitez versus Sadiq Yusuf. Sadiq Yusuf, probably my favorite new featherweight. Uh, ever since I saw him in the Dana White Contender Series, I've been like, that guy's going to be a force to be reckoned with. I don't know what it is with Nigeria just turning out killers. They now have Yusuf. They've got, uh, I'm drawing a blank now, Adesanya, and they got Usman. Three killers out of the same country. You don't see that very often from a small African country. Uh, Sadiq Yusuf is definitely going to be a force to be working with time to come. I don't know much about Benitez, really. Uh, I know I've heard his name a couple times, and obviously he's good to be put in the top four here. The fact that they put Yusuf in this in this main card, though, tells me that they're really banking on Yusuf becoming a star, and I can see that happening. Uh, fifth fight I have here, I've said this before about Derek Brunson. He's fighting Ian Heinish. I've said it before about Brunson. I don't believe in Brunson at all. I don't even think he's a gatekeeper in the middleweight division. I don't think he was ever that good. He's good at blitzing people. He went on that crazy win streak. But at the same time, I think that was mostly fluke. Every big name he's fought, he's lost to. Let's, let's be real. Ian Heinish is a monster. He's coming up. He's had a hard life. He was in prison. I think there's no way Ian Heinish loses this fight. He does everything Brunson does, except he does it better. It were, barring a Brunson rush where he just catches Heinish with a right hand, I see Heinish probably dominating this fight all the way through. Probably finishing this fight, I'm going to call with a head and arm choke. Mm, third round, I'm going to say. I'm going to say Brunson tires out. I'm going to say Heinish takes that one. All right, so that's going to do us for the 241 overview. If you'll bear with me for just a second, I'm going to get my more notes out. Uh, just going to do some quick shout-outs. I just don't want to get the one guy's name wrong. Only three guys responded to my message on Twitter that I will give you a shout-out, so I'm a little disappointed in that. But at the same time, I appreciate you three guys, uh, except you, Tyler. I'll get to that in just a second. Give me one second. I'm still one page behind. Son of a bitch. This is embarrassing. This is time when I really wish I could edit videos because I know you just hear paper wrestling. Oh, drop the phone. Oh, shit, this is not working out. Anyway... Back to the lead out. I want to give a quick thanks and shout out to my three listeners that replied to my Twitter. Of course, uh, Tommy Elliott, you said you were going to listen to this one. I expect you to live up to that, buddy. Uh, but good for you if you did. 
Happy to have you. Hope you keep coming back for me. Uh, second of all, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Tyler Stafford for always listening to the podcast. Congrats on your new job, man. I know you said you hadn't signed the papers yet, but at the same time, I got confidence in you. You're going you're gonna to get that job. Been my best friend for a long time, and you'll stay that way for always, man. Love you, bro. Just kidding. Fuck you, dude. You're a douche. Um, third, I want to give a shout out to Juice Aaron Jackson from the Fight With Myself podcast. I know I've said his name a couple times here. He's He's probably one of the only guys that's listened to every episode. I don't think Tyler's even listened to every episode, and he's my best friend. I want to give a real big shout-out to Aaron Jackson. Number one, get get better soon, bud. I know you probably don't like to talk about it much. I know you announced it on your podcast, so I guess it's okay to talk about it now. I'd seen it on Twitter before, but I just wasn't going to mention it because I know it's probably something you just want to put out, of the, put out of your head at any time you can. But get better, man. We need people like you in our life. We need people like you in the MMA community. I really look up to you in terms of the MMA community. When I first joined just a couple months ago, you were one of the first guys I've seen. You were one of the biggest guys to follow. And I'm really happy I did because I really do enjoy your podcast and I enjoy everything you do. You're a great dude, and I love you, man. I know we don't know each other like that, but I do love you, Juice. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week on the Blood on the Canvas podcast. I appreciate you guys listening, all four of you probably. But I'll do this for all four of you. Like I said, I'm mostly doing it for myself, but I'm doing it for you guys too. Give me a shout-out on Twitter if you want to be shouted out in the next podcast. I'll give you a quick shout-out. Just let me know. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next time.